The following episode of the Audio Guide to Babylon 5 was accidentally recorded at a lower audio quality. Consider this in the spirit of the episode TKO. This is Erica in Edmonton. Shannon in Durham. And Chip in Durham. Welcome to episode 20 of the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, TKO. And yes, thank you all for joining us once again, if this is in fact once again. Uh, Chip Shannon and I are working our way through all of the episodes of Babylon 5 in order, and we are closing in on the end of season one. You guys, are you as excited as I am? I'm almost as excited about reaching the end of season one as I am excited to be covering TKO today. Right? Am I right? All right. Dial down the sarcasm, dear. <laughs> You're something all right, Chip. You're something. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. TKO. Mm-hmm. I, well, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> Wow. I guess I should uh, I should do our little recap to to work our way up into talking about this momentous <clears throat> episode of Babylon 5. So here is uh, what you need to know going into it. And Babylon by the 5. way, if I, I, I apologize for interrupting, but if this is your first episode of Babylon 5, it gets better. <laughs> yes, we need a we need a little PSA video. It gets better. Babylon 5. It, it gets better. <sighs> Babylon 5 is a space station in neutral space that's home to nearly 3 million people, both humans and many different kinds of aliens. Two of the command staff who keep B-5 running are Lieutenant Commander Susan Ivanova, a no-nonsense career military officer who takes her job seriously and whose father recently died. And then we have Security Chief Michael Garibaldi, a wise-cracking recovering alcoholic. And that's really about all you need to know to lead you into today's episode, TKO in which an old friend of Garibaldi's visits the station. Walker Smith is a falsely discredited fighter looking to get into an alien prize fight with no discernible prize uh, called the Mutai. He has to use a bit of a roundabout way to get in, but he manages it, fights the champ to a draw, and paves the way for humans to fight in the Mutai henceforth. Meanwhile, Rabbi Yossel visits Ivanova to deliver her father's legacy and convince her to forgive him and sit Shiva. She gets pretty annoyed at his meddling, but eventually she does both. And really, there you have it. That is that is TKO. And perhaps the brevity of both of those bits and pieces have something to do with why this is my least favorite episode of Babylon 5 ever. Ever? Um, ever. Ever. <laughs> think, All five seasons. I don't think there's anything less than that. I'm kind of excited to go through this again with you guys to discover if, in fact, this is my least favorite episode. I found a few things in it this time watching it that I liked more than I remembered. Um, but still, the whole thing just doesn't hang together nicely for me. And and I kind of look forward to talking about it here with you guys because I haven't I still haven't been able to figure out exactly what it is that turns me off so much. And, and maybe we will... We will discern that as we go through. Do you guys have any, before we jump in, any overall kind of feelings about it like I do? I think I'm going to wind up segueing slightly into a defense of territory. Um, mm -hmm. Like everyone else, we I was convinced and what I remembered, what little I remembered of it was that it was just not a good episode. Seeing it again this time, I think there are some good things in here struggling to get out, but... Yes, the execution falls short. But yeah, I've, I found more in here that I thought 
um, had potential, could be intriguing, um, a couple of good gems here and there within it. So I'm I'm not willing to say this is the worst episode ever yet. I need to rewatch season five um, to double check <laughs> that because I'm fairly certain there were a few episodes in season five I really didn't like. Chip, what do you think? Well, um, I'm, what I'm going to say makes me very, very happy that you're in Edmonton and I'm in Durham. <laughs> I liked it better than Grail. <laughs> oh, Chip, Chip, Chip. <laughs> <sighs> we can still be friends. It's okay. Aw, thanks. Um, TKO, I, I, I sort of agree with Shannon. Um, there are some things about it that are just bad but it's not a bad plot and i'm not even sure that it's bad acting but it's it feels like lazy execution pretty much from start to finish uh we looked at this and we saw that this is production number it's production number 119 it's one of the last episodes produced and it feels like early early season one stuff Mm -hmm. the music is cheesy some of the dialogue is just troweled on thick. Um, it, it is such a throwback, and I'm not entirely sure why. But I think but I might know why. Okay, go ahead. This is the first time John Flynn directed. I went looking because his name was familiar. He's been the cinematographer for a number of really strong episodes so far this season. Midnight on the Firing Line, um, Babylon Squared, one of the Voice in the Wilderness parts. But this is his first time directing. And I have a feeling between that and Larry DeTilio's scripts, which tend, you know, again, looking back at some of the stuff he's produced, he tends to have really good ideas, but doesn't always pull them together fully. So I think the combination of those two things is why this suddenly feels like an early episode. There's some potentially really strong character stuff. It's a slice of character kind of thing uh, going on. Uh, uh, Somebody I know on Twitter said something about it's like one of those episodes where of Star Trek where Worf meets the family and you just don't care. I wonder who that was. Oh, wait, it was your husband, Erica. Um, <laughs> oh, was it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But I, and I, I sort of get that. I like I like having moments of character development, but this is nothing but there. There really is no a plot to this story. <laughs> there are two. There are two character stories, one of them featuring our uh, featuring a regular character and the other featuring a charismatic but never seen before guest star. It's another one of these. If somebody else is writing the episode, it's going to wind up somehow being all about the guest star uh, kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But it's it's it is a slice of life. It is nothing more than a slice of life episode of Babylon 5. And we're almost at the end of season one. It's a little late for that. I agree. You know, there are two things that you guys mentioned that I, I want to touch on. And one of them is the acting. And, and Chip, you said you, I, I believe your exact words were, I don't even think it's bad acting. And I agree with you. I, rewatching it this time, I found that I really liked Walker Smith. And I really thought Ivanova did a great job. And just to jump the gun and jump to our Sinclair check-in, I thought Michael O'Hare was fantastic. His scenes with Ivanova, I thought were just touching and, and wonderful. So it's not the acting. I definitely can't point to that um 
but I do think Shannon mentioned the the script and it does feel like it's trying really hard to be futuristic. There was so much kind of future speak in this episode that it it just kind of bowled me over a little bit and made me roll my eyes. At the beginning we've got, oh look, you know, he's got he's got slappers that are straight out of med lab and we never really find out exactly what those are. And then and then later on we get stroke off. I'm not even gonna touch that um and, and then another, another crazy time reference like 30 i didn't even catch the word 30 something cycles. for 30 minutes uh, yeah they did cycles again that's yeah, yeah. and then also the, you know over the uh, com link we have have security saying you know the perp looks like he's zoned hmm there's just there's an awful lot of that and i'm, I'm curious if you guys noticed any other bits and pieces uh, as, as far as the script go and and also your take on the acting well again i think this is something that Dottillo tends to do. He, he His episodes, he does really try very hard to sort of distance that universe from our universe by throwing in these things. Um, he's the one who threw in Veer's little space game in Born to the Purple. Um, he's the one who had that vicar cyborg in Deathwalker. Um, so he's he seems to have a fondness for tossing this stuff in. Sometimes it works. You know, like Veer's little game, that that was a gem. Throwing in Harlan Ellison's autobiography, fake autobiography was genius. Whether that was him or, or Straczynski, I don't know. But that was a wonderful toss in. Um, Agreed. But very often, like like you said, the language he uses, because we, ha- we have almost enough context, but not quite, it makes it harder for the viewer to really... Um, buy in. Yeah, and it's a real weird mix too of of this sort of uh fake almost sort of comic booky future stuff in both in terms of both dialogue and some of the concepts that are going on. And yet we have a very traditional uh rabbi, uh, a R- Russian rabbi. We have a martial arts tournament that really isn't all that out of place compared to earth mixed martial arts and other things like that. And we can't let this go too far without uh, acknowledging the presence of the Zima in the sports bar. Um, <laughs> Stephen was not very, very amused by that. They <laughs> no. did it just to be silly. I know, I know, and, but uh, yeah, just it, it, it really is, a, it really is a mess. And um, if I can be Luke Skywalker for a moment, there's good in this episode. I can feel it. But no, it's Darth, <laughs> it, it, but it, it's Darth Vader all the way because. There's stuff that could have been done, and it might be interesting to talk a little bit about what we would have changed about this episode to make it better. I think that there's a skeleton here that could have been something pretty good, but as it is, it is my second least favorite episode of season one. You know, one of the things that I would change is the fight scenes. I just and then that is a, totally a personal opinion thing, but I'd get very bored and I don't care how well executed they are unless unless they have like, you know, Matrix style music in the background and they're slow motion and pretty. I probably am not going to care too much and, about and those. And these weren't done all that well either. Um, I could have sworn watching this time. I swear there's one small sequence that they literally looped. Like it was the exact same moves and the exact the alien fell the exact same way. So I think that's that may have been an editing error or maybe they just didn't have quite enough footage or something. I I don't know. But that that was jarring. And the fact that for the most part, the the fighting styles were very recognizable. I mean, yes, I guess for 
beings that, you know, stand on two legs and have two arms that, you know, there's, there's going to be a sort of general similarity in how they move, but it still would have been nice to see, see some moves that really looked different to, mm-hmm. to help, to help bolster this idea that this is um, an alien fight ring. Yeah. For an alien fight ring, it was very, very uh, Southern California. <laughs> And, you know, we have the line in there, you know, that the Mutai isn't a prize fight, it's a meat grinder. I personally didn't feel that that was borne out by what we saw on the screen. It just, it looked pretty run-of-the-mill. Uh, you know, Stephen was just like, hey, is this MMA? And then he was like, no, 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 Martian, Martian, or Martian mixed martial arts, it's MMMA. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it kind of is, because, you know, Mars is, is populated by humans, and everybody is very humanoid, and this just seemed like... I don't know. How did you guys feel about the the Mutai storyline itself? Do you think it was sort of an effective demonstration of the human-alien relations, or was it just a bad rehash of Bloodsport? Yes. Yeah. Like Chip <laughs> said, it had potential. It, it, it had the, the potential to parallel um, some of the things that might be coming in later seasons, um, or, you know, just the idea of humans and all these aliens getting to know each other a little bit more. One of the things I liked about it was the fact that Garibaldi and the people running the thing emphasized the need for a respectful attitude. That when, you know, Walker Smith can't just come in and, you know, basically, you know, pull off a shirt and say, okay, boss, put me in the ring, um, that he has to go about it the right way. That appealed. But still, overall, I just don't think there was enough time to do it justice to actually make it subtle enough and interesting enough to make it more than just a rehash of Bloodsport. Yeah, I did read into it a fair bit about um, Earth alien relations. Um, and it's I, I kept going back to one of your criticisms um, of, uh, I think, Parliament of Dreams, Erica, um, the sort of elevating Earth uh, above mm-hmm. all of the other uh, alien races as far as the narrative of the story goes. And this is sort of the other side of it. I get the feeling that the aliens on Babylon 5 are tending to think of uh, the Earth Alliance as sort of the ugly Americans. Whatever humility they gained as a result of uh, getting their butts kicked by the Minbari is gone now. They're starting to act like they own the galaxy again or something like that. At least that's what some of the um, aliens in the Mutai uh, seem to think. Um, so well, a lot they of they go around calling you snakehead. Well, yeah, and I thought that that was kind of interesting. Uh, you know that that's raw, unenlightened prejudice right there. Right. Um, I mean, it's casual, casual racism. Just yeah. seemed like an interesting way to establish the character. And and I wonder, do you think that they did a good enough job showing him sort of growing through and past that at the end, or do you think he was still sort of the same guy? I think he was clearly growing through that, and I think he was clearly not the same guy, but that was the script telling us that as opposed to, you know, us believably experiencing that as we watch the story. Right. Again, not enough time. Not enough time to really see the results of what he carried away from the experience. Yeah, and I'm not sure that I would want more time for this storyline. Um, and I mean, we wouldn't want more time in the ring, so I don't know what you'd add to it. Um, and I don't know well, what you'd... Such as, well, it would have been nice to know a little bit more about um, Caliban's background. That that was another thing about this script, that so many bits and pieces were telegraphed, 
Um, you know, you've got this guy who's training other people and he's walking around with a limp and you have maybe one line somewhere in there to hint that he got that injury in the ring and could no longer fight. So now he trains other people to to take his place, you know, some something like that, like him showing Walker Smith maybe that there's a future beyond just fighting. He's so Walker Smith is so focused on getting back to where he was that he's not looking beyond to what he could do. You know, something like that might've helped, but you know, yeah. When you talk about more time, I think uh, not more real time, like I wouldn't want the episode to be longer, but I think perhaps if they would have stretched out how long this was taking in, in Babylon five time to make it, you know, maybe Walker Smith is there visiting for uh, several weeks or a month or something, then he would have time to go through this character transformation. We could have, you know, a couple scenes that establish the, 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 the gravitas of this great tournament, which, you know, really just looks like a backroom brawl with a few people standing around that that sort of thing might have have been able to play out better however if they would have done that it maybe would have thrown off the the timing with the the other b plot as you put it chip because you know rabbi yosel is only there visiting for a certain amount of time and and i don't know that that plot would have played out as well in a longer time frame yeah one last uh, remark about caliban i really like that character uh, um I, I he's like he's like the he's like the space burgess meredith you know, and 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 while it would have been nice to have had a little bit more development on him, he's just this guy who shows up and he's not a heavy. He's just a good guy. I like that scene in the ring when um, I, I believe it was a Drazi who was getting ready to uh, shoot a dart at Walker Smith mm-hmm. and uh, Caliban uh, alerts Garibaldi and Garibaldi takes him down. I kind of like it when minor characters contribute without being uh the heavy or the um just something dramatic he's just he's just this guy who um becomes walker second trains him a little bit and helps out and just and just goes on but he's relatively well acted and um he's not it's not an over the top or melodramatic character so i kind of like it you know, I will agree with that. I think he was. I think he was well acted. That was another performance that was good. Except the one part that kind of made me giggle uh, in not the best way was after Garibaldi takes down the the guy with the dart. He comes back over and Caliban just gives this big goofy grin and a thumbs up. <laughs> it's just it looked yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, it seemed a little out of character. Yeah. Uh, but everything else from from him was was neat. Uh, so it's just again we're we're finding all of these pieces that I like. It's like a jigsaw puzzle where I look at each individual piece and think, oh, that's really pretty. But when we put it together, I'm still not finding a picture that I'm no. enjoying. And one, one last thing about uh, uh, that I want to add about the Mutai plot um, and, and all that stuff is Greg McKinney as Walker Smith. Mm-hmm. Charisma. Natural. Absolutely. Um, I believe him as an athlete. I believe him as somebody who seriously wants to improve himself, has a chip on his shoulder. Yeah, I, I liked him. I liked him. Um, I believed his friendship with uh, Garibaldi, and I thought that they had pretty good chemistry. <sighs> Again, it's it's so many individual pieces of this that could have been good. Something that goes back to directing cinematography, sort of the technical aspects that sort of lend to this idea of a puzzle missing pieces or badly fit um, that 
a lot of transitions and a lot of things didn't seem to work very well. The opening teaser seemed to cut off really abruptly. Um, a scene later when uh, Ivanova and the rabbi are talking and she leaves to go on duty or she, she walks out. No, it's the restaurant scene when he, when he meddles mm-hmm. and um, she tells him off for it and she leaves. The shot of him standing there alone in the restaurant while all the other diners are still dining, that seemed to go on for like three or four seconds too long. So there were like pieces that just felt off rhythmically to me that I think lend lent itself to the to the amateurism, the feeling that this was a, you know, episode they shot in the first week, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's turn our, our attention now to the Ivanova storyline. Um, here's a, another example of a sort of a front and center use of religion in, in Babylon 5, which is always kind of interesting. Do you guys do you think it works? Is it touching? Do we have a, a realistic character in Yosel? Or is he a stereotype or both? Because I know some people who are very stereotypical. Well, back when I was watching uh, B5 during the first run and, uh, ca- and catching up on some of this stuff, I was living in an apartment. My roommate was Jewish and he walks through as uh, we're watching this episode and he, he he just whiplashed at the television because uh, somebody was sitting a shiva in a science fiction show on television. If I recall correctly, he was mildly impressed with that, just the presence of the uh, Jewish tradition. As far as the execution of it and how stereotypical it was, I'm not so I'm not so sure. I mean, I didn't have any issues with Theodore Bickel's accent. I didn't have any issues with the structure, but again, it's a question of the execution and the um and the dialogue. Is he a stereotypical Jewish rabbi sort of character? I kind of got that feeling. But not being Jewish myself, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I wonder how much, if any, uh, Harlan Ellison's influence was actually in this episode in that particular storyline. Because I, I am blanking on the name right now, but he actually has uh, one of his short stories is is all about finding finding people to sit Shiva on this alien planet. So I don't know if this was a. a a deliberate nod to that, especially with the, you know, working without a net Harlan Ellison book in there or, or not. But uh, it would be, I, I wonder. I will say, uh, before, um, and then I'll shut up for a bit. I was kind of surprised at how unshocked Ivanova was for Uncle Yossel to show up on her doorstep. And she just sort of handles it kind of casually as if he was just like, coming from down the street or he'd driven an hour to get there or something he's been on a starliner he has made an expensive trip to fly to babylon 5 and she just took it kind of blasé i don't know about blasé as much as knowing why he's there and working to shut her feelings down a bit I mean, she starts off, you know, addressing him formally as as Rabbi Yosel, and she retreats into military speak, you know, which confuses him because, of course, he has no idea what she's talking about when she says, you know, 200 hours, whatever. Um, So for me, it wasn't blasé so much as her putting up her walls because she probably knows why he's there um, or she's got a suspicion and it's not something she wants to deal with. Um, so that's what I was thinking. I thought the actor, Theodore Bickle, overall did a good job and in a couple of cases did a really good job. Uh, when he walks off the 
uh, liner and into the station. And you get the impression that this is the first time he's seen aliens in person because his jaw drops a little bit and he looks around and he's just like kind of wide-eyed wonder. That, that little expression was beautiful. I thought. Yeah, he's he was great. He was this is another piece that I liked a lot. Actually, I was looking him up on IMDb uh, once we were finished watching it, and he has been in every single TV show ever at least once since yes. the 1950s. It's like 154 credits and it's almost every show like one time just sort of a guest star. He also co-founded the Newport Folk Festival with Pete Seeger, and he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor Oscar for The Defiant Ones in 1958. Huh. So this is another one of those examples of kind of, you know, m- minor star power being a guest star on, on on Babylon 5. We had a lot of, you know, the first season, these walk-on characters, you know, June Lockhart shows up one week and then and then look at this. We've we've got, you know, an Oscar nominated actor popping in and to, also, next week. Who also played Worf's father. Yeah, to loop Worf's back to uh, to loop back to Steven's uh, comment on Twitter. Yeah. Wow. Um and I he's part of the pipeline from Murder She Wrote as well along with um Don Stroud who played Caliban. So that that yep. pipeline is still flowing. At the beginning, when he first came in, Stephen's comment was, you know, I like that he's wearing a suit and tie. It's like he just came straight out of a Columbo episode or something. And then when we were done, sure enough, he was in an episode of Columbo. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah. But uh, this doesn't have any connection to any other story other than the fact that we saw her uh, father's death early in the season. And it's it, it could have happened at any point, you know, in, in any point. This season, you know, the rabbi has decided that it is time for her to sit Shiva. He's come to the station. So we're just going to have this bottle show where Jewish people on the station whom we've never seen with Ivana before and probably never will again will help her do this ritual. But it doesn't connect to anything else. It is pure slice of life and And i I have such a problem with that i know that's the point but i have a problem with it it just doesn't feel organic to the rest of the series maybe not but i think it's an important step to show ivanova's continued journey as a character uh to do this to to close this bit of her life we get a lot more insight into her relationship with sinclair as well as her relationship with people in general that the, we, we find out, you know, that she, you know, really doesn't like the idea of being controlled or manipulated because apparently her father uh, did that during her teenage years, during some times when she needed more su- support rather than, gu- than guidance. Um, that's one of the reasons she reacts so strongly when uh, the rabbi meddles and goes around her to Sinclair to try and get her time off. I would have knocked his block off. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> that was absolutely. that was that was way above that. That, that was way be. Uh, uh, I that was manipulative as heck and a, a complete violation of her privacy. I, I I was I was actually genuinely offended by that. That um, he would tell her commanding officer about personal problems that she was having, and yeah. without her without her consent. Uh, that was just awful. Yeah, but. Yeah. It, on the other hand, it gives Sinclair the chance, you know, that, you know, he and Ivanova continue to build their relationship because Sinclair recognizes that he's overstepping boundaries and he's very careful to try and offer her what she needs. You know, do you need this time off? Do, you know, she doesn't. Okay, but if you need it, I'm, you know, I'm here. Uh, I, I can give it to you. So 
there's more trust between her and Sinclair being built as a result. Mm-hmm. And I agree. These are more pieces that, that I liked. I really liked the scenes between the two of them. And I thought it was very, very telling about their relationship. The fact that when when Sinclair was was trying to give her this time off and, you know, he doesn't exactly lecture her. He just gives her sort of friendly advice. And she doesn't fly off the handle at him. And I mean, maybe that's also partially respect for her job and the fact that he is he is her commanding officer. But she she takes it very well and is very, very measured in her response and, and very kind to him. And I, I think that there's a, a real bit of warmth there, even beyond the fact that she is, you know, a little stiff. I, I like the way that she reacted to him. But Chip, I thought it was interesting that you said that that the slice of life thing doesn't work for you. It just doesn't feel right. And one thing that Stephen said when the episode was over was that just did not feel like an episode of Babylon 5. He has only seen this first season and already he's kind of got a feel for what the show is. And this didn't quite fit into that for him. And I, I think maybe that that's part of part of what it is. It's just there's something about the, the connecting glue in between all of these bits and pieces that just doesn't flow in the same way that a lot of these episodes did. Yeah, I mean, you can break the flow once in a while and come up with some really good television. Um, There were examples of that, like in MASH. Uh, There was one episode that was shot entirely from the point of view of a um, soldier patient. There was another one that was uh, set in real time. You know, you can do some of these things that don't feel like the rest of the story, and yet they do in, in, in a way. This one just doesn't. There's just something, something sort of missing. Shannon, was there anything else you had to say about the uh, the Ivanova storyline there? I think we've touched on most of it, although I will say for me, the actual Shiva part didn't work so well. The parts where they were sitting around and uh, letting Susan reminisce and talk about experiences with her father um, felt very claustrophobic to me. Uh, again, you know, we've only got a few people. We've got these people we've never seen before. It all seems to be taking place in like uh, her quarters or like an area of her quarters. It just felt very sort of tight and contained in a way that didn't feel right to me. And I have to admit, I really didn't buy her breakdown at the end after the prayer. I just, mm-hmm. you know, I, I could see, you know, what she was trying to do. And I thought, you know, um, Sinclair and the rabbi moving towards her to support her was good, but her actual expression, you know, it felt like she was trying for tears and didn't make it. That didn't work for me. That sort of fell off to me and sort of unsettled, sort of, I don't know. Yeah, I will agree with that. I I actually liked if she would have stopped it, like just the moment where she kind of goes over the top, then I would have I would have been all on board because she finishes the poem. And that's, you know, it's a touching moment. She does that very well. And then she sort of has a couple of breaths where she's clearly kind of overcome with emotion. And up until that, like that was fine with me. I liked I liked the way that she she sort of she was emoting without going over the top. And then when she does the breakdown thing, and again, this might have been a direction issue. Um, mm-hmm. That is that is the point where it's just too much for me. I think if I don't know if it was her choice or the director's choice to, to push it a little farther. I, I, that's or, the part I disagree with. Or the scripts. I think that was a little bit too pat as well. I mean, the, 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 only, the whole reason the rabbi came was because he felt she had to mourn properly. And it wasn't until the very end that she's now apparently mourning properly. So it felt a little bit too much like that jigsaw puzzle piece. It just fits so perfectly. It doesn't seem right. <laughs> My problems with TKO are that it is too, it, it is not subtle enough when it really needs to be subtle. 
and it's not big enough when it really needs to be big. It is just mediocre from start to finish. And and there's so so much so much perfectly good raw material in this episode, but it's not, it, you don't do anything with it. Good actors, bad lines. Um, Except interesting, for one or two. Interesting really concepts. makes you grit your teeth. Yeah. Interesting <laughs> concepts. Um, I, I, I've taken martial arts in the past. Um, I understand the value of them and the seriousness of them, and I buy it when Walker is, uh, you know, struggling to make a name for himself again. But it is just bare knuckles. It is MMA. There's nothing special about this compared to any other martial art on earth it's just you've got guys in rubber masks participating and that's it uh so yeah from top to bottom this episode should have tried harder it should have been more subtle or it should have been grander mm-hmm. and i feel like there were a lot of sort of ham-fisted little things in there as well i mean during the fight scenes there's a lot of cutting to garibaldi's sort of hurling advice which just it didn't it didn't seem <laughs> real at all and at the same time we have the cross cutting between the fight scene the, the dramatic ending fight scene and the sitting shiva and i just that, to me that felt very disjointed sometimes i really like it when properties go back and forth between two very different moods and that can that can work and be sort of jarring and dramatic and in this case it just felt jarring and not in a dramatic way it just distracted me and I yeah. never kind of knew where I was. It was always on the back foot in, in a bad way. Yeah, again, it, it, it could have set up something really interesting. There's, you know, the underlying bit in Susan's story, uh, the fact that she and her brother joined the military and her father was an emphatic pacifist who did not approve of his children's choices, who did not approve of humanity going to the stars and then just getting into all kinds of wars and conflicts all over again. Um, You know, haven't they fought on Earth enough? Um, And then, of course, this whole storyline where Susan is mourning a pacifist is paired with a storyline where the only – that people are fighting for almost the most pointless, pointless reason of all, personal honor. So, you know, again, the the irony, it's almost there. It could have been there, but it doesn't hang together. Well, uh, Walker makes a good argument, I think, though, about personal honor may be the most important thing there is. I mean, that's – I don't want to uh, just dismiss Walker's journey here. But can we all agree that uh, the triumphant chanting of Smith doesn't really flow very well? <laughs> yeah. I mean, why why couldn't they have said Walker like that? At least Walker, Walker. No, Smith, it's, Smith, Smith. Uh. Oh, that's, we almost that's got mule, mule, mule from uh, <laughs> from uh, <laughs> uh, Caliban at the one point. What's a mule? That's that guy. And then he starts chanting mule, mule, mule during the fight. <laughs> anyway, sorry. It was a nice moment. Yeah. And yeah, there's a couple of things in the fight scenes um, that I made note of. Um, I liked the diversity in the crowd. I mean, you saw all kinds of different aliens other than the Mimbari. We saw um, some aliens that we're going to see a lot of in the future. We saw some aliens that we've seen before. Um, We saw women in the audience, which, you know, is not something that, you know, in this supposedly burly man's thing um, Mm -hmm. makes sense. I really like the touch of um, the uh, alien champion. Uh, his blood was white. Yes, I have that in my notes cool. as well, too. That's nice. Yeah. 
And then on the other hand, you have the sensei of the dojo under all that makeup is, bless his heart, a man who has played every Asian bit character in 30 years. He's basically been every in everything that Theodore Bikel was not. <laughs> Wherever gotcha. they needed an Asian guy under all that mm-hmm. alien makeup and he's still playing a, sca- a stereotype. So, wow. Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, you know, before we started recording, Shannon, you were talking about looking into sort of the perceived fan wisdom to see to see what this uh, this episode, what people think. And, and you found that that some people are, are more OK with it than than I am. So I'm, I'm happy to, to hear that. But I also just remembered that looking at uh, Internet Movie Database, this is the lowest rated of all mm. of the ones in this in this season. Anyway, I didn't go f- farther than that. Yeah, I, I saw a lot of uh, chit chat on websites that are more general, kind of like IMDb, but more just about television uh, that people were talking about, like, you know, well, I thought this plot was pretty good, but the other plot was kind of draggy or vice versa. Or again, the feeling that, you know, this was a pretty good episode without being super effusive about it. But I didn't see a great deal in the way of hatred. Like, like you would feel like what? What is it? The twin mm-hmm. dilemma? Is that the one that in the Doctor, Doctor Who? Yes, that everybody. <laughs> Poor hates? twin dilemma. Not everybody, man. Not everybody. <laughs> but yeah. Well, do you guys have anything else that you want to say about uh, about TKO before we jump into spoiler space? This is the most missable episode of season one, mm-hmm. without a doubt. Yeah, if anybody did jump in with this as their first episode, you know, I would like to echo what Chip said at the beginning. That not only does it get better, it it gets more. It becomes <laughs> there's more to Babylon Five than just this. Thank goodness. <laughs> All right. Well, next time uh, we've got some homework for you guys. Once again, we are moving on to legacies, and like I said, we are so close to being done with uh, with season one. We've we've got just a couple more to go. So this is the last one before the season finale. So make sure you check that out before you come back, and also. Come and take a look at our website at b5audioguide.com. Leave a comment in either the spoiler space or the non-spoiler space and let us know what you think of TKO. I'm very interested to see the thoughts of both the people who have seen all of Babylon 5 and the folks seeing it for the first time. I just, I'm, I'm still a little not sure what to think of it or why I think what I think of it. So please come and let me know what you guys think. And you can also find us on Twitter and on Tumblr at B5 Audio Guide. So we hope to hear from you soon. But until then, we are jumping into spoiler space. And welcome back. Liner White Star. Watch your back. Good night, everybody. That's it for spoiler space. <laughs> you know, it really kind of is. Mostly, <laughs> it really yes. is, yes. <laughs> yeah. And that may be one reason why um, the episode is given such uh, low ratings in general by those in fandom, because there's practically nothing that ties it together with other episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and saying that the liner that Yosel arrives on is the White Star, that's, that is not even anything. It just happens to be the same name as the White Star ships we get later. <laughs> No, no. So uh, so really and genuinely, the only th- thing that resonates for future episodes of Babylon 5 is Walker says the line, watch your back twice to Garibaldi. And actually helps him the first time. Yeah. 
and that is there for no other reason than to have a, you know a script writers nod your head you know it's not even in the plot it's not it's <laughs> not it's not watsonian at all it's pure doylist um mm-hmm. you have the insert of a couple of lines saying watch your back and then in two episodes garibaldi's going to get shot in the back irony <laughs> dun 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 yeah well that's that's really all i got any anything else that you guys can scrape out of this episode well, to go back slightly to the idea of how humans will fit into the grander scale in the massive conflict, I actually thought about this for a little while, trying to decide if the episode would have been better if they had not ended with a draw. What would have happened if Walker had lost? Or what would have happened if he'd actually won? Trying to think about if Walker winning played too much into uh, Delenn's previous remarks about just how important humanity is or how, how important humanity will be in the coming conflict. And, you know, if Walker loses, the aliens' ideas of humans are reinforced and how much it's, how it's going to be a hard row to hoe for Sheridan and everybody to try and pull the alliance together right, later on. You know, the, the draw, when I thought about it, the draw felt a bit like a cop-out to me rather than commenting either way. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, again, time, quote unquote, space for the story to actually follow through if one or the other had won would be difficult. That is that's an interesting sort of exercise, thought exercise there. However, I feel like you're giving this story too much credit because I really don't feel I really don't feel like that that aspect of it was was thinking forward in any way. To me, this feels so self-contained and so encapsulated that it just I don't get the impression that Larry Dottilio was was thinking of anything other than this episode itself when he was writing it. Probably not, but darn it, that's why we're podcasting this so we can pull these things apart. <laughs> And very shred true. them and, and piece them back together. Oh, very, very true. Well, this has been fun pulling it apart and shredding it and putting it back together. And I look forward to doing it next time with Legacies. So until next time, this is Erica in Edmonton. Shannon in Durham. And Chip in Durham. And you've been listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5. Well, you know what? I just realized I also recorded as an MP3. Of course, mine's 192, but (sighs) TKO, man. TKO, I blame it. Welcome to episode 20 of the audio guide to Babylon 5. TKO. Wait, how do we start this again? (laughs) Sorry. We say. We start with our names first, don't we? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Okay.